Hello and welcome to episode number 61 of the Chris Knott podcast. Today is going to be a solo podcast where I will be going through my take on what to do from a nutrition and training standpoint during Ramadan. Uh, I'll be going through the methods that I'll be using with my clientele who are going to be fasting and giving you an insight into why uh, for both scientific and anecdotal reasons uh, and what I believe are the top five things that you should be doing um, if you're a trainer, what you should be telling your clients and if you uh, don't have a trainer but are interested in what you should be doing, what you should be doing yourself. So I'm going to record this podcast in a manner that can be listened to by a coach um, and by the general pop as well. So I'm going to try and avoid the jargon as much as I can and relay it in a simple um, simple manner that you can understand using some uh, analogies to make things a bit easier um, for anybody who's not in the industry. So before we start um, looking into what you should be doing, I'm just going to do a brief overview and, and kind of like an assessment of what I generally see. So the Asian diet itself is generally uh, very, very high in carbohydrates. It's very high in rice, chapatis, um, samosas, uh, and uh, which giving you a high intake of both carbohydrates uh, and uh, fat. So when I do dietary assessments uh, and talk through what people are usually having, if uh, it was to wait, break down the macronutrients, it probably sometimes tips the scale at anywhere between 60 to 70% of the calorific intake is coming from carbs. So this is uh, interesting because a lot of uh, you know Asian people might say you know it's down to the genetics around uh, storing body fat around the midsection and that generally tends to be a stubborn area for a lot of Asian people is the midsection and the belly. And even though you could say it is genetics which is which is a possibility um, it's lifestyle factors which are going to have a massive, massive influence. If you have eaten for the majority of your life a very, very high carbohydrate diet, you know, 60, 70, sometimes even 80% of your calorie intake coming from rice, um, bread, and carbs in general, uh, that's going to leave you in a position where you're very, very susceptible to storing fat around the midsection. Now, without getting too scientific, um, you know, or, or overly complicating the matter, that pretty much the simplest reason is uh, is because because your total calorie intake from things like protein is so low, you're not giving your body the building blocks that uh, are needed a necessity to support muscle growth. Now, the more muscle that you have, um, the more you can use carbohydrates better because your body can shuttle carbs into the muscle and use it for energy rather than just storing it as fat. So if you want to reduce body fat, muscle is your friend. Now it doesn't matter if you're mid-twenties male or if you're mid-thirties or forties female. That is uh, unanimous across the board. You want to support muscle growth uh, in order to stay lean. This does not mean you're going to look like a bodybuilder or be overly muscular. It just means that you're going to be able to handle the carbohydrates that you have better. So regardless of fasting and pulling that to one side, when cleaning up somebody's diet, again, regardless of ethnicity as well, um, you generally want to have a more balanced macronutrient split. So if you're having anywhere from 60 to 70% from carbohydrates, all it needs to be is reduced. So it's at uh, around about 30 to 40%, so a third of each, because there are three macronutrients, protein, fats, and carbs, and we just want a more balanced approach. 
So that's important based on things I'll be saying later on, but it's just uh, an overview and my observations of uh, the general diet and what uh, it consists of. Now we're going to look into fasting itself and uh, why it can be a very, very good thing if utilised correctly. So I, I believe that personally the human body is actually built to fast and it's not um, too bad of a thing to go periods of time without food. Now I don't want people to take this out of context and think, you know, we should be going 18 hours or, or longer without food. I do think one of the smartest things anybody can do for general health and overall well-being is eat three solid meals a day at set times. I, I'm a huge advocate of that. I think it's very, very good overall uh, dietary habit. Um, but fasting isn't the end of the world. I don't think we go as catabolic as people think. I think the human body, the way it evolved over you know thousands of years, it makes sense to have a mechanism that supports going without food because in hunter-gatherer days, um, we would have uh, had to go without food when we can't find it and it wasn't as readily available as it is now. So, I um, before to get the biggest, um, the best impression, sorry, of why fasting is good for you, we have to look at the digestive system. Now, the digestive system is made up of muscles and organs which basically get food from being um, eaten in the mouth, uh, to being broken down, absorbed and into the bloodstream so it can be used for uh, various different ways in the body. Now, when you have a high fat, high carbohydrate diet, it's very, very stressful on the uh, digestive system. And when you eat a lot of inflammatory foods, it is again, putting more strain on the digestive system. Now, inflammatory foods are things like fried foods, foods high in sugar. Think of man-made processed foods. So things like fruit, vegetables, and meat when it's cooked in a healthy way is stuff that you generally can find in nature. Things like fried chicken, um, very high fat curries, um, you know, milkshakes, uh, th those type of things, uh, you're not gonna find. They're processed foods and they are very, very inflammatory. What fasting does is it's basically giving your digestive system a rest. An easy way to think of this is that if somebody came to you and they said, I'm absolutely knackered, I, my joints hurt, uh, I'm constantly tired, I'm running to the ground, uh, I feel stressed and, and everything aches. And then, and then uh, you said to them, okay, right, what are you doing at the moment exercise-wise? And they said, I train for four hours a day, I train two hours of weights, I then do an hour of interval training, then an hour of steady state cardio. Now it doesn't matter if you're in this industry or not, it's pretty easy to see. The one thing that you're gonna to say to this person is, you probably need to take a rest for a week and then reduce the amount of training volume that you do. And this is the way I like to get people to think about the digestive system, is that if somebody has stuff like IBS or they're not very well or they have digestive issues or they're overweight, which is a sign of digestive problems because they go hand in hand really, um, one of the easiest ways to fix things uh, without using supplements or any advanced techniques is just to give the digestive system a rest. And fasting is in essence what that does. Your digestive system doesn't have to do as much work. It gets time where it doesn't, um, it's not uh, having to process food. So it's resting in essence. So this is very, very good. So it's why fasting for people with digestive issues, if it's applicable, 
done safely with the supervision of a professional who has experience in it can be very, very beneficial. But it's not just giving the digestive system a rest um, that is very, very useful. There's also a different aspect of things which, were, which I need to explain for future points in the podcast, which have an even bigger impact on our overall health. Now, the human body is uh, basically a huge transport system to bacteria. We consist of a lot more bacteria than the actual th- you actually think. And there is good bacteria that is in our gut and all over our body, but let's just focus uh, for the sake of this on the gut bacteria. There's good gut bacteria and there's bad gut, uh, gut bacteria. Um, good gut bacteria, easy for me to say, is, um, ge- contributes to our general health. It makes us feel good. It produces chemicals in our brain that improves mood. It helps us digest um foods in in the digestive system uh, and it helps keep inflammation low. Bad bacteria is uh, very inflammatory, it decreases our mood, it increases inflammation, it it promotes premature aging, it can um, eat away at our joints uh, and it can trigger um, diseases such as obesity, type 2 diabetes, Alzheimer's, you know, an absolute array of um, ailments in the body. So bad bacteria is very, very bad for our health. And someone's general health and well-being is basically a reflection of the population or distribution of good bacteria versus bad bacteria. So that you want to have a population of good bacteria in the gut. Now, if your diet happens to be high in fatty foods, processed foods, high carbohydrate foods, and you have IBS and you have stomach issues, that is a surefire way to, uh, to tell you have a, a bad bacteria kind of overgrowth or overpopulation. Now, I can't speak in absolutes and say that is exactly what's going on because without screening you, speaking to you, knowing your case history, uh, I can't say that, you know, it's too general. But as a general overview, if, you're, if you have a poor diet, it is very, very likely that you'll have bad bacteria, um, more bad bacteria than good bacteria in, uh, in your digestive system. So when you're fasting, think of fasting as a way of starving out everyone and starving out the bad guys. So going long periods without food, um, you're going to have kind of like a, a trade-off where there'll be um, kind of cell death or the bacteria will kind of die out, they'll be starved uh, starved out in the digestive system. Now this may happen to the good guys and it may ha- happen to the bad guys but in essence what you're doing is you're wiping the slate clean where you have a blank canvas when you open your fast. Now this doesn't happen immediately like after day one all the bacteria dies out and that's not the case at all but when you do it time after time think of it as one, um, one step backwards two steps forwards. So you might have uh, the bad bacteria and good bacteria die out. You repopulate with good bacteria. And if you do that steadily, step by step by step, by the end of a period of fasting, you'll have massively improved the ratio of good to bad bacteria, which is what we want. That will directly improve your health. So when you open the fasting window, the foods that you choose to eat are going to massively dictate how good you feel. If you were to have, uh, say, a piece of um, 
very well cooked high omega-3 salmon with some organic vegetables um, as your um, as your meal when you open your fast along with some dates if that's tradition that will be excellent it's high in very very good fats which are great for the brain it's high in protein it's high in um, beneficial bacteria for the gut from the vegetables that would be ideal you are repopulating uh, the digestive system with good bacteria now if you were to open your fast and you were to have it with uh, you know fried chicken fried foods milkshakes uh, crisps chocolate and just eat crap then you are basically repopulating the digestive system with really bad bacteria. So you're promoting an environment which is going to make you feel really bad and it's going to be poor for your health. You're going to have joint disorders, you're going to have mood issues, you're going to have uh, skin issues. So you've got to pay attention to that. It's your chance to repopulate with either good or bad bacteria and this is a very important point. Cool. Right, so we've laid a few foundations of uh, the typical Asian diets uh, that we want a more even distribution of macronutrients and why fasting can be good uh, for both the rest for the digestive system but also because we can improve the ratio of good to uh, bad bacteria in the digestive system. Now these are my top five things that I'd like you to pay attention to during Ramadan which I think in my opinion is the most important things and is what I will be doing with my clients um, who will be fasting. So number one is uh, a protein intake but slightly reduced. Now um, all my clients have a protein goal which I will monitor by default. I'll get them to eat a certain amount of food per day and they may be aware of it or not but I want to know, I want to track how much protein they're having. So this is a protein goal. If you've not counted calories or don't know anything about a diet plan and this podcast is going to be completely new to you in terms of nutrition, protein goal is very, very simple um, and I'm going to simplify it to make it easy. Um, find out your weight in pounds, so body weight in pounds. Say that's 150 pounds, just uh, as an example. You use that number in grams and that is your protein goal for the day. So it's one pound, so one gram of protein per pound of body weight. Now, an array of different trainers and different opinions will tell you otherwise. What I've just said there is not the absolute at all. It's not right or wrong, it's just a guideline. If you are new to this stuff, then using that as a guideline will be very, very useful. So this protein goal is very, very important because it's going to help you maintain your muscle, which remember we need to make sure we use carbs in a good way rather than being stored of fat. It's going to help your liver detoxify the body and cleanse and improve digestion. It's going to help the brain think better because we'll be able to create neurotransmitters, which are brain chemicals, which are going to help mood, concentration, focus and drive. So it's a very, very important macronutrient to have. So if you set this goal, it will be a foundation for you throughout fasting. One pound of, uh, sorry, one gram of protein per pound of body weight. Now what I will be doing with my clients is I probably get them to eat a little bit more than that. So they may be on, if they're 170 pounds, they may be on anywhere between 180 to 190 grams of protein. Uh, what I will be doing is I will be reducing their protein intake by about 25% and I'll be doing that for uh, a few reasons. Uh, the main reason behind it is because protein can be quite hard to digest. Uh, it requires a lot of stomach acid 
uh, and you need to be you know you need to enjoy the meal um, you know be mindful when you eat so basically eat slowly if somebody has gone 18 hours without fasting and they're very 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 hungry it's very likely that they want to eat the first meal fast but also having um, 170 grams of protein over four to five meals in the day isn't too uh, isn't too difficult it's roughly 35 grams of protein per meal which isn't really that much it's not too bad it's about 100 grams of chicken now if they're doing it over one to two meals having 170 grams of protein or 150 grams of protein in one sitting is very difficult your digestive system will have gone from 0 to 60 from not working at all to then having a lot of protein to um, to have to break down so that's basically like saying going on a six hour car journey getting out the car and saying right I want you to run 100 meters as fast as you possibly can and we're going to time you without doing any warm-up so that's the uh, one of the main reasons I'm looking to reduce the protein intake is because the amount of meals or opportunities to have to, they'll have to eat will by default be lower so uh, that's hence the uh, 25% reduction so find a protein goal reduce it slightly and just stick to that so if you're getting in hundred grams of protein throughout the fasting window that's pretty solid just stick to it and be consistent with it that's uh, that's my point number one point number two is re-inoculate which means basically repopulate with good gut bacteria through food now if you do want to use supplements such as probiotics then be my guest but i don't think they're 100 percent necessary um, and the and the good ones the way i see it good probiotics tend to be quite expensive um, and i always say nutrition first and then when you've exhausted nutrition then supplement so what is good what foods contain good good uh, gut bacteria well anything organic uh, vegetables dark leafy vegetables um, any organic root vegetables are ideal um, it doesn't necessarily have to be organic don't worry about that too much but um, anything from the earth basically green vegetables uh, leafy greens uh, root vegetables are, are, are pretty good um, go-to's the number one uh, ones in terms of probiotic though is uh, fermented foods so fermented dairy products such as uh, kefir, uh, kefir or kefir, whichever one you want to uh, pronounce it, uh, and fermented vegetables such as sauerkraut. Now, some people, if they have really, really, really poor digestion or, or poor gut, uh, gut bacteria, might not be able to digest these and they get bloating. If this happens to be you and you try fermented foods and you bloat really bad, it means you can't handle them, take them out straight away. And if it happens to you, I apologize if it does, but um, it just means that your gut is in a state where it, it uh, can't handle that food at the time. If you have them and it doesn't bloat you, then having just a glass of kefir, um, a couple of mouthfuls of sauerkraut after opening your fast in the first meal or having it with the meals is very, very good. You are now repopulating with good gut bacteria and I'd highly, uh, highly recommend that. Number uh, three is a very, very simple one. It is just to rebalance or keep an eye on your carbohydrate intake. So I know, like we said, for cultural reasons, it's, uh, the Asian diet is very, very high in carbohydrates. All you have to do is portion control. 
if you can eliminate them then great but i'm not um you know i'm not saying it i'm not being an advocate of zero carb dieting just because of the rate of compliancy you know if you do three fasts and then in the in the eating window you don't have any carbs then brilliant but if then on the fourth fast you have a you know a huge pile of rice with curry and then loads of samosas and loads of chapatis because you've starved yourself so much you give in um because your your cravings are so high that's what we don't want to happen we don't want to um, ingrain poor eating habits with food and poor emotional connections with food so that's why i'd say is that if you're used to having a lot of rice in your diet keep rice in your diet just portion control i'd keep it from anywhere between 150 to 250 grams per meal and then if you as you get further into fasting you want to reduce then go for it just weigh out the portion of rice and uh, make sure you don't go over a certain amount that amount would be specific to the person the size and the goals but just portion control it's as simple as that remember most of the diets are going to be 60 to 70 percent carbohydrates all we're after is a 30 to 40 percent so increasing lean protein increasing good dietary fats that come from like avocados nuts very good uh, quality meats and just reducing the carbs so number three is carb balance number four is remember to have vegetables but the right ones now one thing that's going to happen is that your digestive system is going to get sluggish because it's working less yes it is resting but it's working less nonetheless because it's got um, less food to do um, on regular intervals so what i would recommend is having slow cooked soluble fiber which are both very important points with your meals and this will help um, your digestive system and your metabolism and keep you going to the toilet regularly so you don't become constipated now slow cooked having food slow cooked helps break down food so it's almost like doing the digestive system for you a uh, digestive process for you and getting the ball rolling soluble fiber is fiber that can pass through the digestive system help scrape out all the bad bits keep things moving um, you know it's very very important fiber is essential for colon and intestine health we need it to feel good to function well to go to the toilet regularly you need fiber in your diet to be healthy it is essential but if you have insoluble fiber which is roughage in essence so fiber that can't be broken down in the intestines and so um, has to be processed as uh, waste that can cause bloating and irritation for people and if your diet has been poor go into high fibrous foods insoluble fibers can give people ibs can bloat them which is not what you want because if you haven't eaten for 18 hours 20 hours and then you want a meal you want to make sure it goes down well you don't want to be double up in pain with wind and gas so what i'd recommend is googling soluble fibers slow cooking them and having them with the meals however many meals you have whether it's one or two meals so that is essential don't cut out vegetables altogether or fiber because it will it's bad for your health you need fiber in your diet but pick the right ones google soluble fibers and make sure you're having them slow cooked number five top tip is to prioritize sleep now I've had the conversation with a few Asian clients and they're going to be doing it in um, 
different manners. Um, some are going to be waking up to eat just before they can they start fasting. Others are just going to be sleeping through, which limits them to one meal. But one thing I have to say is that um, try to avoid as best you can um, disturbing your sleep pattern as much as possible. Sleep is incredibly, incredibly important for overall well-being, brain health, um, willpower, energy, and uh, there's a lot of research that I've read into about uh, lack of sleep and lack of restful sleep leading to um, Alzheimer's and dementia later in life. And I've definitely been a martyr to uh, not sleep as much as I should do, but I want you to prioritize sleep and make sure that you uh, are getting as much as you possibly can. So reason why I've brought this up is that, you know, the sleeping patterns I've seen of some uh, Asian men uh, in their you know, mid to uh, late 20s or early 20s is uh, usually that, that pattern of going to bed at 2 or 3 uh, in the morning and then waking up at 11. Um, but the only issue there is that if they're staying up throughout the night, they're going to eat crap. Um, more likely to eat crap during the window and then just sleep through the fasting and then break the fast later on in the day. But what I would really recommend is that opening the fast as soon as you can, going to sleep for a few hours, waking up, eating again, and then getting into that regular sleeping pattern and doing that for the entirety of the, uh, the fast. You want to have set sleeping times and don't leave things to chance. Plan your meals, uh, have them set out, know what you're going to have, and make sure you prioritize sleep the whole way through. Um, don't um, you know, don't have your late nights because what that'll do, it'll drain the willpower. And if your willpower is poor, when you go to opening the fast, um, you're more likely to make really poor choices. So really prioritise getting good restful sleep throughout the um, throughout the fast because that's going to help promote um, restorative, uh, putting the body in a restorative state, which means the fasting will be easier both physiologically. And neurologically so it'll be easier for the body and it'll be easier for the brain so um, don't neglect your sleep uh, once you've uh, broken your fast once you've set, uh, said your prayers get yourself straight to bed get a good re uh, restful sleep and then if you want to wake up just before the uh, fasting starts have a meal then then go back to sleep just make sure that it's a total of eight hours per day eight hours of good quality sleep as best as you can now, if you uh, want to know more about sleeping aids, what I'd recommend is um, good quality magnesium, very dark room. Um, I've done podcasts before on sleep hygiene and recovery methods, so uh, you can check them out as well if you'd like to know more about that. But prioritize your sleep. Your sleep is so much more important than you think. It impacts your food choices and willpower, which is incredibly important when you go in long periods without food and you're gonna have cravings. Cravings and willpower go hand in hand. Lack of sleep and willpower go hand in hand. So if you have an opportunity to be sleeping, uh, join the window when you can do, uh, uh, but join the eating window when you can, uh, make sure you get that in. So sleep needs to be a priority. Okay, so now we're gonna uh, quickly talk on uh, training and what I'd recommend with the training. Um, it's gonna be a very, very a simple approach for myself. Uh, I'm just gonna reduce training volume by 50%. And what that means for this, uh, for anybody who isn't familiar with uh, program design in, uh, in the fitness industry, is that say a client does 20 sets in a workout, 
so they do four exercises for five sets each just to make the maths easy I would get the client to do ten sets so I'm going to get them to do half an hour of weights if their usual gym hour, uh, session is an hour half an hour of weights uh, but doing half as much as they usually do and then the rest of the workout is going to be 30 minutes of extremely steady state cardio and the reason I've done that is that for all the clients that I have who are fasting their goal is body composition so their goal is fat loss so as a way of maintaining strength which is the one the most important thing I'm not too bothered about muscular size because that will come back as soon as we reintroduce carbs on regular intervals once they stop fasting but I want them to main, maintain strength so I'm going to get them to do half the amount of work they usually do, um, but with a little bit less weight for a little bit less reps. So if I know a client can do uh, four sets of 10 on a chest press with 20 kilos, I'm going to get them to do two sets of eight with 18 kilos. Now they may feel that this is very, very easy. That's absolutely fine. If they can improve and increase the weight, that's absolutely fine. But I want to start reserved just because the lack of food throughout the day is going to give them the um, kind of sensation or get the feeling that they have lost strength because you've got no uh, substrates, you've got no energy in the body to work out. So they're going to feel weaker. So I don't want them to be using loads um, that are too heavy because that increases the risk of injury. So we're just going to reduce by maybe a couple of kilos or maybe it depends on the exercise, obviously. Massive, massive depends on the exercise. We're just going to reduce slightly and then we're going to um, reduce the sets. So take a couple of reps off, a little bit of a reduction in the weight and just focus on perfect form. It's all you need to do, just perfect form, a couple of sets, few less reps than you usually do with a little bit less weight it's just maintenance of strength and uh, that's all we're looking to do the reason why I get into the cardio at a very 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 steady state is that when you're fasting you'll go through uh, all your body's uh, uh, glucose stores or glycogen stores so basically all the stores of carbohydrates that are in your muscles will um, will get used up in this 18 hour window if you go at a very very steady state um, and the way I read it and my perception of science and physiology, and this will depend person to person, is that going at a steadier state is better for fat loss. Now, I know I could open a huge um, can of worms there, uh, and there's loads of people with different opinions, but my opinion, just 60 to 70% heart rate, sometimes a little bit lower, um, very steady state, just a gentle jog or a gentle walk or gentle pace on the, tread, uh, on the cross trainer, uh, is more optimal for um, fat loss or, or burning fat rather than anything else. So I'll get clients to do that for half an hour, just steady state, a little bit of a sweat on, and I will get them to train an hour and a half before the fasting window opens. So if the fasting window opens at just gone nine o'clock or half past nine, train at eight o'clock, so you can do your workout and then the first thing you do after your workout is uh, is eat. I would not recommend working out during the day or I would not recommend working out in the morning when you've just about started the fasting. It's not a good idea in my opinion. If I was doing the fasting myself, I would be training just before the window opens. That's what I would do. So it's just a reduction in volume 
it's uh, which is the amount of work done it's a reduction in weight and reps just a tiny bit so do weights that you know you'll be able to do don't try and challenge yourself if it feels very very easy by all means increase a little bit but don't go too crazy with it and then finish with some um, steady state cardio if your goal is body composition because um, that's what I uh, that's what I believe would uh, be useful for mobilizing fat stores if your goal is muscle strength and size um, I would just keep it to the same but without the cardio as simple as that um, if you're if you're a lean individual uh, listening to this and uh, you're looking to uh, you're looking for tips on what to do I would recommend the exact same everything stays the same everything stays the same doesn't matter if your goal is to put on size uh, or strength uh, or body composition the same tips apply protein intake um, balancing out carbs but all it means is that you can eat a little bit more during the window to support um, retaining muscle that's all it is just a slight change in the uh, calorie and macronutrient intake um, so to recap my uh, top five things to do have a protein goal but not what the usual recommendations are uh, reduce it a little bit just because uh, there's uh, less stress on the digestive system and less to eat per meal Reinoculate uh, when you open the fast with good gut bacteria using fermented foods and vegetables. Um, balance out the carbohydrate intake, so just portion control with your carbs so you have a, a much more favorable, favorable ratio of carbs, fats and protein to a more balanced rate. Uh, keep soluble fiber in the diet for healthy digestion. You don't want your digestion to get too sluggish so keep soluble fiber in to aid uh, going to the toilet and keeping the digestive system healthy and uh, make sure sleep is a priority don't sacrifice sleep plan your meals out plan what you're going to have uh, and make sure and make sure you uh, you know when you're going to be sleeping and when you're going to be getting up and get into a regular pattern with that because if you get sleep deprived or you sleep late um, or your sleep goes out the window and it's poor, it's going to increase uh, the likelihood of you binging and picking poor foods. So that is my take on training and diet during Ramadan. That's what I'll be doing with my clients. If anybody listens to this and has anything that they believe uh, will improve it or they think um, they're going to be doing, which I've skipped or missed out, feel free to message me on uh, Facebook or Instagram or email. I'm more than happy to discuss this with you and seeing how you can improve my methods. If you do happen to listen to this and benefit for it, from it throughout fasting, also let me know because I'd love to hear from you. Uh, again, Facebook, Instagram, um, you can email me, uh, chris at chrisnotpt.com. More than happy to hear any success stories you get from, you, uh, from using this. Thank you very much for listening and more podcasts coming up very, very soon.